I had set a goal for myself personally. I think it was a 10-year goal that I wanted to impact over a million people. Um, and I've been very fortunate that that process has been expedited through XPT. I think my personal YouTube channel has like 3 million views on it. So now I've set a, big, a much bigger goal for how many people we can impact. And through XPT and through FitLab, I think that we can have an impact in a lot of people's lives. And that's something that really excites me and I look forward to. That was our guest for today, PJ Nessler. We'll get back to PJ very soon, but first, we just wanted to say a special thanks to Four Sigmatic. They specialize in plant-based proteins and also mushroom-based coffee, and we do have a special discount for you. Type in SEPR2021 into their promo code box, and you'll receive a discount there, or you can check the show notes where we have a link to their website. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 103. Today we spoke with PJ Nessler, Director of Performance at XPT Life, Breathwork Expert and FitLab Head of Performance. Coach and educator PJ is a human performance specialist with over a decade of experience of preparing athletes for competition and optimizing athletic potential in the mind and body. He's become a leader in combat sports performance training and has worked with pro athletes from the NHL, MLB, NFL and UFC. He now identifies himself as a teacher and enjoys educating and developing through XPT Life, a performance program created by Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese. XPT Life is a performance lifestyle system that focuses on breath, movement and recovery methods and we highly recommend you checking out their content and app. PJ tells us what makes great coaches to create buy-in and communicate with athletes and why adaptability and curiosity is so important. Also, how he differentiates between performance and high performance. Thanks for joining us, PJ. Elevating and educating the fitness profession consistently and good luck with all your future projects. PJ Nestler, thanks a million for coming on the show today. How are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you so much for having me. PJ, just give the give the listeners an understanding as to where you might be taking this call from and also where is home for you? Right now I'm in Orange County, California. Costa Mesa, California is home for me, but I'm actually in the process of moving to Huntington Beach uh, this week. So, But Orange County is home. Nice. I lived in Huntington Beach for a lovely summer back in 2011. It was one of uh, the best years of my life. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great, what, great place. What's the weather like, PJ? We're here in Ireland and, you know, it's it's not exactly a bright summer's day today for us here. What's it like over there where you are? Well, I, I won't say it because in comparison, uh, I would have said it's cold here because for California, it's freezing. My, my girlfriend is Brazilian and she has been walking around like it's five degrees outside, but it's probably <laughs> 65. <laughs> so it's uh, 65 and sunny, but for us, it's a little cold. And look, what's it been like for you over the last, you know, six, seven months in terms of maybe what, what you've even taken from that whole experience and what you've maybe leaned on, as it were, to, to bring you forward moving on? Uh, the last six, seven months here have been a lot of working from home. I'm, I'm very fortunate, I think, compared to a lot of places. I, one, I live in Southern California, so we have beautiful weather. Two, I have a gym and sauna and well, a makeshift gym, but a sauna and an ice bath in my garage. 
Uh, so I'm able to get outside, exercise, do all the things that I think I know would have driven me crazy if I was living in, uh, before I moved into this house, I was in a, an apartment on the third floor with no outdoor space. And I think I would have lost my mind if I lived there. So I've been very fortunate in that sense. Uh, and I live here with my girlfriend, but from a, a business standpoint, I mean, one of the primary businesses I work with is XPT and, and we do, our business was mostly in-person events, coaching certifications and retreats and all of that. And, uh, Obviously, that took a, a big hit during COVID, and we had to focus on building our digital community. So I think that was an interesting challenge for me. I think we, we were trying – the problem we were trying to solve is to help our community continue to do all the things we've been talking about. We talked a lot about managing stress and staying connected and getting outside and dealing with adversity and adapting to situations and all of those things – kind of slapped us in the face and we had to continue to find ways to help our community do that. So I think it was certainly challenging for me. I think probably the biggest thing that I notice is I am the person who craves interpersonal connection. Uh, I've been a coach my whole life. So I've spent a lot of time interacting with people and helping people and it, I get energy back from those types of interactions. So for me, learning to connect with people digitally was a big challenge. Um, but I think we've learned a lot in that process, uh, both personally and professionally. That's excellent. Myself and David understand that a bit as we've had the pivot and do a lot of virtual um, interactions as well. So we definitely might touch on that a bit more later on. But just for the listener to get a bit more flavor about your career to date of your coaching and everything, give us a little bit of a taster of where it started for you and how you got to where you are at present. Sure. I, I got started in training, actually, in the fitness industry when I was really young, I got into working out personally when I was in like middle school, I think I was 12 or 13 years old. I was a really skinny kid. I was really into sports. I had a friend whose dad was a big into weightlifting and we started going to the gym with him and just fell in love with the whole training process. And it was something I became obsessed with at a really early age. I would used to buy books and magazines all about training for football and training for wrestling. Uh, and I just became really obsessed with that process. Uh, and then in, I actually went to college for business because I didn't think I could make a career out of that and realized that I hated the business track that I was on. And I actually fortunately transferred schools and, and walked onto the football team at the University of Rhode Island, where I got introduced to collegiate strength and conditioning. And I, I just fell in love with that. And I just decided that was what I was going to do. So I started volunteering and working at every possible place I could. I was fortunate I had a high school football coach who was a strength and conditioning coach. And I reached out to him telling him I want to pursue that. And he became a, a mentor very early on. I was only a sophomore in college. And he took me under his wing, told me to get every internship I possibly could and get as much coaching experience as I could. So by the time I was 19, I was already volunteering everywhere, coaching high school athletes. Um, I would spend the summers back with him coaching speed and agility clinics. And then uh, when I graduated college, I got a job at the University of Rhode Island as a strength and conditioning coach. So I spent a few years as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach. And then I moved out to California and switched over into the private sector. And that's where I started working as a, a trainer. And I was, I was focused on training athletes. I really wanted to train 
I either wanted to be a collegiate or a professional strength and conditioning coach, or I wanted to train professional athletes in the private sector was kind of my goal at the time. That was 2011. Uh, and then in the private sector, I was mostly just training young kids in speed camps. Uh, I was running fitness boot camps for adults, kind of doing anything I could to pay the bills and, and stay in the training community. And I started to build up a reputation and clientele in Southern California and, and eventually ended up training mostly combat sport athletes was kind of my passion. It's another sport I got into right after I started stopped playing football. I started training in MMA and jujitsu and I got really into that. So I started training fighters out here. Southern California is a hotbed for fighters and professional athletes. So I was training um, professional athletes from a variety of sports, but I really focused on the NFL, NHL, and UFC were kind of my three primary focuses or, or my passions. Uh, and then I also, at that point, I was managing a few different performance facilities. I got put into a leadership role. So I spent a lot of time learning how to be a good leader and how to coach other coaches. And I really fell in love with the education process. I, I really found that I enjoyed systemizing because I always say the things that caused me the biggest headaches in my career also ended up really projecting me into where I am now. The facilities I worked at didn't really seem to have a good system for training. And I was somebody who was always seeking systems. I, I wanted to find people who could say, here's what I do when I take a new athlete, step one, step two, step three, step four, and here's the process I go through. And I just I struggled to find that everywhere I went. And finally, I got to the point at six, seven years in my career that I was now having to teach this to younger coaches. So I just took a pen and paper and started writing down my process and what I do with athletes and how I assess what they need and how I train them and really putting together systems for everything we did from speed training to plyometrics. Uh, and I enjoyed, really, really enjoyed that process and found that the coaches who were coming to me were struggling with the same things I was struggling with as a young coach. And they really latched onto that. So fast forward a few years, I was, I started doing seminars. I started doing as much as I could for education. And I ended up leaving the company I was at to start my own company, which was geared primarily towards trainer education and mentorship. And then six months after quitting that job, I, I got reached out to by XPT and they were looking for somebody to take all of the really cool stuff they've been doing at these retreats and all the all the unique and crazy things that are in Laird and Gabby's head and systemize that into something that be, could, could be taught to coaches and trainers and scaled uh, to get to people throughout the world. So I was super excited to jump in with them. And, and that was 2017. So I've been doing that ever since. Look, that's quite a story, PJ. And look, there's so much we could, we could touch on. Um, Ryan Hawk, you know, somebody who we had on this podcast and has his own show would often say that to really accelerate learning. It's about when you get to the point when you're teaching and educating and, you know, you, you seem to be a perpetual learner, you know, and, but also a coach for such a long time. And the question I'd be curious about is for someone that's learned so much from experience at a young age and also being there doing it and teaching, what really separates coaches? What makes a good coach? That's a great question. I, I would certainly say, the art of communication, I think. I think understanding communication and behavioral change are some of the things that separate the coaches I've seen 
I've seen a lot of coaches who are really, really smart. They understood the science of program design and all of that, but they just couldn't get people to do it. They, they didn't understand how to create buy-in and how to communicate with athletes. Uh, and I think also adaptability. You know, I think those two things go hand in hand because, uh, again, I always say, fortunately, I, w- I didn't think I was that smart. I wasn't somebody who was really into reading research. I struggled to make sense of research studies when I read them, and I forced myself to try to do that. But I was also habitually curious. And I found that, that my curiosity, I used to think, was a weakness because I, I couldn't spend time just – I couldn't spend a year focusing on learning Olympic weightlifting. I had to learn Olympic weightlifting and speed training and ankle mobility. And I was so curious that I would do all these different things. But I think that the benefit of that is it helped me to be non-dogmatic. And I mm-hmm. learned really quickly with athletes that the dogmatic coaches just don't work for most people, particularly with professional athletes. Uh, unless they happen to subscribe to the same dogma most professional athletes, you need to be really adaptable and you need to have a lot of different tools uh, and be able to get their buy-in and listen to them and communicate properly. So I think that's the biggest thing that separates coaches because I certainly think there are coaches out there who know a lot more about training than me, but probably didn't get as good of results because their athletes weren't bought in. They couldn't influence the behavioral change that I think is something I pride myself on. And I learned a lot of that because of my passion with psychology that that was actually my major in college. Uh, so it's always been something that I've also been curious about. And I've read a lot about psychology and human behavior. Uh, I got more into that with with being forced into leadership positions where I had to dig into those. So I would say that, that communication and leadership and adaptability are, are some of the biggest traits I would look for in hiring a coach if I needed a, a really high-level coach. That certainly primed you for a, a pandemic in, or, in terms of pivoting, having that ability to adapt and be good at communication. I'm just interested in terms of the athletes you've worked with. Have you learned much? And obviously, when there's such high level, they, they do things at such high performing levels that we, we always take a bit back from them. We always change our practice. Is there anything you used to do with athletes maybe 10 years ago that you don't do anymore or stuff that you didn't do before that you started to do now? Yeah, I would say, well, I, I don't currently work with any athletes day to day anymore. I do some consulting, but my job is primarily education. Uh, but when <clears throat> the athletes I was working with, I think a few things I found out. One of them is that less is more. I think from a programming perspective, I always wanted to have these perfect programs that were based on the textbooks I was reading were, were in sync with those things. And if you looked at the training programs I wrote for uh, I, I wrote a thesis paper for my my graduate program, not a thesis paper, I wrote a final project. I had a class where I had to design like a 12-week training program, and I chose an MMA fighter for the program. And if you looked at that program, the amount of volume and exercises and stuff in there would probably kill a real MMA fighter because, <laughs> uh, you know, when working with, if you look at the programs I have now with some of the UFC fighters I've trained, it's probably a quarter of what I had planned in that. So I think I learned really quickly that uh, how to be more efficient with my programming, my exercise selection uh, to get the most out of the athletes. And, and that was always my goal, you know, just because I was obsessed with the training process doesn't mean they are. So if I could get them in the gym and maximize my efficiency so I can get them the heck out of there and they can go on with their lives, 
I found that that was much more effective than these two hour long training sessions where I crossed every T and dotted every I based on what the exercise science books were telling me. Uh, but the athletes really didn't care about it. And they, they only gave half the effort because it was just too much. So that was certainly a big learning lesson for me throughout my career is finding ways to get a lot more with a lot less. And PJ, in that transition, you know, even a transformation from performance coach to somebody in the LND and the educational space, and obviously it's something you're really passionate about. Like I was fortunate to be on that XPT breathing workshop with you a couple of weeks ago, and you know, you you have a great presence about you on stage, even even in a virtual platform. And obviously, it resonated through because I said we have to get him on the podcast. What do you enjoy the most about? The education, you know, the fact that you've nearly stepped away a little bit from coaching the athletes, but now it's the education piece that you're you're doing, especially a lot more in the XPT department. I think the two things I love the most about the education, one is the puzzle, solving the puzzle. Uh, I think it's a love-hate relationship. I, I find that I get myself into situations all the time where I'm like, man, this is a mess. I just this needs to be systemized and needs to be, we have to get this into a straightforward system. And finally, when I get it there, I find myself in the next mess that needs to be systemized. So I've, I've accepted the fact that that's just how my brain works. And I'll probably spend the rest of my career doing that because I think it's something that I'm good at, but also because it's a way that I process information. So I enjoy I enjoyed the, the puzzle of speaking to Laird and Gabby and taking all of these ideas that were just so amazing and then thinking like, okay, where do we start? You know, it's, it's kind of like creating a training program for an athlete. If I know that I need an athlete to compete in the NFL combine in 10 weeks and I know all of these things they need to do, how can I reverse engineer that program week by week and day by day in order to get them to that goal? And I do the same thing in the education process. Uh, for example, the breathing workshop, if I know that I'm going to have an, a well-educated physio like you and uh, my mom's friend who's just interested in learning breath, and they're all going to join this three-hour workshop, and at the end of it, I want them to walk away with X, Y, and Z, what can I pack into these three hours to get them to that process? So I really enjoy that. And then I think the reason, uh, the second part of that is I enjoy seeing those light bulbs for people because it's for me, it's when those, those light bulbs finally come off of like, Oh, this, this really complex idea that I didn't understand before when I just break it down to one, two, and three, now it makes a ton of sense for me. And then when I communicate that to other people and I see the same light bulb go off that they were able to, to simplify that something that maybe they struggled with, uh, that's something that really gives me energy back. And that's why I really enjoy that zoom workshop was so much more fun for me than a lot of the other stuff I've done because everything else I've done has been one way. So even though I'm doing the same exact content, I don't get to see anybody listening to it or, or processing it or being engaged with it. And it's really, it's not nearly as fun for me to deliver it that way as it is when I can see people and interacting and, 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 you know, taking notes and that way I know that it's impactful. That's excellent. I'd like to dive into the the, XP, the work you do at XPT and the breathwork masterclass that you gave with David. In, instead of, it's quite a difficult question because I'm asking you to condense down quite a lot of knowledge into something that we can maybe call key principles. So if someone on, on this podcast was listening in 
and they wanted to learn a little bit more, what key areas would you first focus on or tell them to go look at? I would start with breathing mechanics. It's usually one of the first steps I go into because I think how we breathe directly impacts all of the other important things about breathing. So, and it's very, there's a lot of issues with it with a lot of people. So I certainly would start with breathing mechanics. It's usually what I teach first. Um, And then from there, I would start going into, I think the two most impactful things for people is understanding breathing mechanics and then understanding how they can use the breath to influence their state, their psychological, emotional, and physiological state. Uh, And the reason I think those are the most impactful is because they apply all day, every day to every human versus, you know, understanding how to breathe during a run only applies to people who run and really isn't even that big of a deal unless you're like a competitive runner. So uh, that's, those are the two areas I really like to start. And, And I, those build the foundation for all the other stuff anyway. And PJ, when did you find your breath? I mean, we've all taken a lot of breaths in our time. When did it come to a point for you that this is something I want to hone in on more and understand more? Like, it, was it when you joined XPT that you you dug into it more, or, or was it there before that? It was actually a few years before XPT. I had a friend who we used to work together, and she is a a, a yogi and breath coach, but also she was a has her her master's in exercise science and she was a strength coach. So she was the one person that kind of helped me bridge the gap between, you know, I I was a science minded performance person. So I definitely didn't, uh, I excused anything that seemed on the yoga, more hippies end of the spectrum. Um, And I think she helped bridge that gap for me. So there was some breath work that we actually did together where she was teaching me uh, some of the down regulation post-workout breathing we we worked on. And then uh, she taught me some stuff to, to do during a workout. We, we worked on some breathing and bracing. I actually first got in touch with her because uh, I was suffering from some bad back pain. And we were just talking about some stuff. And she started teaching me some pelvic floor exercises and breathing and bracing exercises. So I started exploring some of that and then using it with my athletes. And uh, the post-workout recovery breathing was one of the most impactful things I think I implemented with my athletes, as well as purely just a focus on the breath for recovery. I didn't really know how to use the breath as a tool for recovery as much as I do today, but I knew that just focusing on getting control of it and slowing it down in between high-intensity intervals, I found that that was really impactful for my athletes. So that was probably... I'd say three years before I joined XPT. So I was kind of messing around with stuff then, but I wasn't super into it. And then joining XPT, obviously I found that that was such a huge component of Laird and Gabby, what they do and what they believe in. So that I spent pretty much the first year of being with XPT, I spent taking every single breathing course on the planet, talking to all the experts, reading all the books I possibly could so that I could really understand what was going on and why it was so important. And you know, how to use it as a tool. And like, I even really got a lot in that session about that, that cool down, that kind of two to three minute piece you use after a performance, or maybe even just to, yeah, stimulate the parasympathetic drive, right? To just relax. I, I love that practice that you had when you were stimulating the exhalation, the mindfulness piece, even the hissing and the humming. I'd never really thought enough about how when you combine them all together, it's amazing the 
the slowing down the relaxation you can get off from just manipulating the breath. So people out there that are, are interested and intrigued and curious about understanding how breathing can prime your system, but also like PJ said, downregulate and slow it all down. Just look up his work, look up XPT. There, there's so much interesting work out there to explore. It's, it's such a, a huge tool that I think a lot of people don't understand enough of. Yeah, it's something that's why I'm so passionate about it now. I think one of the really cool things about the breath or XBT in general for me is earlier on in my career, I was focused so much on elite performance that the things I was teaching in my seminars were really cool. I was super excited to teach people high powered plyometrics and uh, NFL combine 40 yard dash techniques, but the reality was most people, even most trainers are never going to need that. They're never going to train an NFL combine athlete. So it was fun to teach, but it was way less impactful overall. And I think as I started really learning about the breath and how accessible it is, how important it is for everybody, it was really exciting. And it was exciting because I still got to use, I still got to work with elite athletes and military. I mean, we have some of the most elite military groups in the, in the U S all from every, almost every branch of the special forces, who's been out to work with us and learn from us and share resources. So it's really exciting to see that people at that level of performance are interested in discussing the same things that I'm sharing with my mom and my, my neighbor who just wants to calm down during stressful situations. Uh, so that's why I think it's, it's such, it's so accessible for people that it's it's a huge missing piece for people to not be able to have that. And once you realize how powerful it is, particularly just being able to control your mind and emotional states and anxiety, when you realize how powerful that really is to implement that tool into your life, uh, it, it can be life-changing and change my life. I always tell people like one of the reasons I was so bought into the breathing was, and it was all the things of XPT. But when I started with XPT, there was a lot of really challenging components, the pool training, the ice baths, using my breath to calm my mind. There was a lot of stuff. And I was somebody who suffered from claustrophobia really bad. I couldn't do MRIs. Uh, they had to sedate me for MRIs because I would freak out. Uh, I had a, an experience where they put me in like four different times and I kept pushing the button to come back out. And then they had to make me come back and sedate me because I didn't have anybody there to drive me home. And six months into being with XPT, I mean, I, I would have many panic attacks on the airplane. Six months being into XPT, I had to get an MRI on my shoulder. I told myself, I don't need to be sedated. I have all the tools I need to control this. I went in there. I focused on my breath for 27 minutes. I sat there in the MRI machine and controlled my breath and my mind on the verge of a panic attack the whole time, but I was able to do it. And, you know, since then I've gone cave diving and, and skydiving and, you know, this tiny little airplane that almost gave me a panic attack just to look at it. So I think <laughs> for me, un- knowing that I have the tools to overcome some of those things and that y- you can possess those abilities has been really impactful. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing it. That's a great message. And I'm interested, you mentioned benefits of having that toolkit and it's something we have available to us. We often look to medication or something in order to be almost passive participant or passive recipient of a treatment except we have our breath that we can manipulate and change inherently in us. So is there a reason you think that there's a bit of a resistance or a hesitation for people to maybe follow the learning about why it's so important? 
I think it goes with anything. I mean, people are always looking for the magic pill and the easy way. So if somebody tells them that there is an easy way, even if everybody said there is no easy way, people are still going to search for it. So I think the fact that we've got, I mean, at least here in America, we've got a medical system that's that's really based on, unfortunately, a lot of doctors are, are going the prescribed medicine or prescribed surgery for different I- injuries and issues. So when you've got a, a doctor who's telling you that and you, you naturally want to believe it because taking a pill is way easier than doing a whole bunch of work, I think that's why people tend to gravitate towards that. So it just takes a lot of it's not just purely education. I think it also takes a shift of mindset. And that's one of the big things that I try to preach and, and speak about and share, like to help people understand that you are in control of all of these things. And if you want to change them, you have to do the work. If, if there's ever something where you feel like you can make a major shift in your life without doing a lot of consistent work every single day, it's probably not the right thing. There's, there's going to be a negative side effect of that shortcut, or you're not going to get the result that you wanted. Um, and I find that a lot, obviously, you guys in the, in the physical therapy space. I've, I've worked around a lot of physios in my career here that were what I call kind of run-of-the-mill physios that you know people kind of come in and they, they just go through the motions three days a week for eight weeks, and then they leave. And maybe they're out of pain, but they're certainly no better off than they were. Um, and I've worked with physios myself who I, I find ones that are really, really good. And every single time I have an issue, my PT is a lot of work every day in the morning and at night, breathing exercises, movement exercises, strength training exercise, whatever it is. But, you know, I've gotten to the point now, if I, if I go to a physical therapist and they prescribe me something that doesn't feel like it's a ton of work for me, I don't believe that it's going to get me to the result that I wanted because I know how much it takes to change things. I love that. Like it really is, you know, you're taking ownership nearly of your process. And and that really is the key for us. Like we often say, if we can empower someone, maybe they need to understand or be educated a little bit more as to, look, this is how your shoulder works. This is probably what you need to do to make it better. Then they'll be able to understand the root drivers behind their, their shoulder pain. So um, thanks for that. You're obviously someone that from the performance coach of you, but also the breathwork piece, the teacher, educator, a lot of different strings to your bow. In terms of longevity, you know, for us coming out of coronavirus, hopefully soon, and for us all wanting to stay on earth a little bit longer, what where, where do you see the, the next big thing in that space is for people that are curious about how they can be a little bit more well? I think that the biggest thing is really how we have looked at, unfortunately, I think the word wellness a lot of times turns people off because it seems like it's not performance-based. And and that's why we talk more about the high-performance lifestyle is what we talk a lot about at XBT. But really, the high-performance lifestyle is extreme wellness. I think for people, hopefully, what they start to understand is there's a few things, uh, and I talked about this a lot during COVID with my friends and family, there are really a few areas that are the building blocks of your health, your gen- your overall fitness and performance, and your longevity. And most people, if you had to give yourself a grade in the five categories, I would say most people are probably at best a D average. You know, at least the people that I know. 
uh, even the high performers, because I think there are people that focus a lot in one area and they overflow that bucket. I, I like the strength coach, Mike Boyle, had this analogy about filling buckets for different performance parameters. And, you know, a lot of athletes like to focus on if they're really fast, they just want to focus on speed all the time. And like that bucket is full and you're just overflowing it. And what you need to look at is the fact that your flexibility is garbage. And if that bucket's empty, let's start filling that bucket up. Uh, so I think the same thing that there's, there's five major areas that I usually look at that we say are the building blocks of the high performance lifestyle, but really it's not, you know, I, I sometimes I don't like the word high performance, particularly because I think it turns some people away and they're like, I'm just looking to survive, but it's really just the pillars of longevity as well. And it, and people miss out because they neglect one of the major areas. And I think that I'm hopeful that, you know, even something like COVID, I think opened some people's eyes. I think there's a lot of people that'll move forward blinded and just continue to tell themselves the same stories they've been telling themselves. But some people that I know have at least opened their eyes to the importance of some of these, these areas that uh, can build on longevity. Yeah, that's great. Like just, it's, it's amazing the importance of language, isn't it? And getting, getting some key words in there, kind of some words are, are loaded and some people don't really understand the importance of other words. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of the, one of the funny things we talked about communication. I always used to tell coaches, you've got to know your audience. When somebody comes to me and they want to know the benefits of breath work, it really depends who I'm talking to. And I, I actually, in our coach certification, I have benefits documents that I created that are bullet point lists of how you can share with people the benefits of breathing, of hot and cold exposure, of the pool training. And it's really based on who the demographic, like if you look at the benefits, they're actually all pretty similar, but the language that we use, the way we prioritize them are different for a military operator versus a, a group of elderly people versus little kids. So it's really important, I think, to understand that so you can connect with people on, on their level. But the funny thing is the, the stuff we're talking about is all the stuff we've been taught since we were a little kid, which is probably why people neglect it so much. I mean, the five, five building blocks or pillars that we talk about is breathing, movement, nutrition, and hydration, sleep, recovery. I call it recovery, but you know, sleep and stress management, and then connection human connection, connection to yourself. And really like the more research that I've done, the more I find that everything is built on those. And, and really that's a lot of that comes from like the high performance model in sports. I added breathing to that for XPT, but in sports, we talk about mindset, nutrition, physical training, physio, you know, recovery and rehabilitation and uh, general recovery, sleep, stress management, all those things. And that's like the high performance model for sports that we've been using for 20 years. But it really applies to general people too. And, and most people, again, if you gave yourself a grade overall, most people suck in some of those areas. And then they just wonder why they keep getting those same results that they're getting because they just keep neglecting the area. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And one thing I'd like to commend John is the, the piece about the wellness and can often have a glossy exterior that you're meant to be well in these nice circumstances. You mentioned the yoga impression and the, the imagery that goes with it. But what me and David try and do when we're working with clients and when we're working with companies is that it does take work to improve the well-being. It does take that filling them buckets, as you mentioned. So that's a really good message and it's something we'd like to, to commend you on. I've one more question for myself and it's, it's about looking forward. So we've heard a fantastic recollection of 
what has gotten you to this point. Hopefully you're moved to Huntington Beach um, down at Baja Sharkies and visiting around there. But what's, <laughs> next? Yeah, what's next for PJ Nestler? Uh, I mean, I'm really excited about next year for one for XPT. I mean, we've, uh, like I mentioned, fortunately, we've been focused a lot on how we can be more accessible because XPT was, I mean, we ran five times a year. We run, we run retreats that cost about six grand and we can only fit them with 30 people. So that's not a lot of impact we're able to have uh, and not a lot of accessibility for people. And then we had trainer certifications that are co- focused on coaches and trainers. And even those, because of the, we're teaching pool training and saunas and ice baths, we only do those a handful of times per year in certain locations because there's a lot of logistics. So I'm really excited with the, the new focus that we've put together on making XBT more accessible. And I mean accessible, not that it's scaled down, but that there's a much lower barrier to entry for people to engage with the brand and to learn the things that we're teaching because I think they're they're really, really impactful. So I'm really excited about that for next year. Uh, and then I, again, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but I, I work for a company called FitLab uh, and FitLab is a holding company that operates, uh, partners with iconic athletes or celebrities and helps them build fitness brands. So XPT was one of the first investments with FitLab and I was hired through FitLab as the director of performance for XPT, but I'm also the head of performance for FitLab. So we are building some digital training apps and eventually franchise studios for a handful of other brands, uh, really exciting brands, but are all, all different, you know, and, and they all kind of have similar messages, you know, where all, all of the brands are looking to help people move better, live better, uh, but just have a different unique athlete or brand associated with it. So Spartan, the Spartan race, uh, we, we built the Spartan fit app with them and excited about that because I love the training mindset of Spartan, the, the competition and the, just the grittiness of the brand is super exciting. We are about to launch an app with one of the biggest combat sport athletes on the planet. I can't say his name, but I will say you guys are probably really familiar with him being from Ireland. So we're super excited about that. Cause I think that has more of a, a sports science feel to it. And it's going to be a little bit of combat sports, but sports science. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that process of, uh, again, my, my job is to meet with these athletes or brands or world-class coaches and try to distill the training philosophies into something that's accessible for general population and people who jump onto a digital training app and walk out into their driveway or their garage and follow along a workout uh, that was, you know, still has the same authenticity and principles of these world-class athletes like Laird and Gabby or our, our Irish MMA athlete, but is not the, it's not going to be the same exact training, but we can still feel those, you know, obviously if you put most people into the training that Laird does every day, they would break down. But if you can take the thought processes and the philosophies and you can distill that and bring that to people so that they can live a little bit better, that's something that really, really excites me. And, you know, one of my big goals when I got an education was impact. I, I had set a goal for myself personally that uh, I think it was a 10 year goal that I wanted to impact over a million people. Um, and I've been very fortunate that that process has been expedited through XPT. I think my personal YouTube channel has like 3 million views on it. Um, so now I've set a big, a much bigger goal for how many people we can impact and through XBT and through FitLab, I think that 
we can have an impact in a lot of people's lives. And that's something that really excites me. And I look forward to. Amazing. Well, PJ, look, we were going to broach the fact of legacy, but look, the, the tangible impact you've made in, in the coaching space, but also in the educational and teaching space. And we just have to just have to commend you and acknowledge you for it, PJ. Just keep going. I mean, you have two fans over here across the Atlantic Ocean. So a, a question that we, we ask every guest that comes on our podcast, Sleepy Performer Pete, I think it's very appropriate for someone who's very much the epitome of it, is what does high performance mean to you? High performance to me it's funny, it's kind of a, the definition of what we have at XPT. XPT is extreme performance training and, and extreme performance or high performance is really operating at the highest possible potential in all of the major areas. And I think the difference between performance and high performance for me personally is, you know, many people focus in a silo and they become an expert in that, but they neglect the other important areas that are, are important to their lives. So we can use the example of somebody who's successful in business, but their, their family life is a mess and their physical health is a mess. For me, high performance is achieving the highest possible potential, but across each of those areas. So achieving a balance, but not a balance by lowering my ability, the, the area where I'm an expert and lowering that down to the mediocrity of all the other areas, but instead focusing on being in a, a high performer in, every, in all of those areas. All of those made, you know, obviously not every area imaginable, but again, I mentioned those five major buckets that I think are so impactful to people's lives. And that's what high performance is to me, is being able to be a, a high achiever in each of those areas. Brilliant. PJ Nestler, from the two of us here over in Ireland, we'd just like to say thank you very much for giving us your time, your expertise, all of that. And look, just everyone listening to this, just, you know, fill your buckets. Think of that energy, PJ has just told us all about and look just wishing you all the best for the rest of the year and moving forward and look we're really excited to see those unfolding projects moving forward so thanks a lot pj yeah thank you so much for having me on this has been a pleasure i really appreciate it thank you bye-bye all the best thank you for listening to today's episode of sleep eat perform repeat a story of high performance this was brought to you by howora a whole person well-being company founded and run from dublin ireland find out more at howoralife.com spelt h-a-u-o-r-a life.com please rate review and share the podcast some people want it to happen some wish it would happen others make it happen the goat michael jordan